From Hong Kong, this is Maya Kupa, the Lessons Learned from Startups podcast, based on the Postmortem Conference, where founders, investors, lawyers, and mentors share their stories about working on, with, or for startups. I'm Jeffrey Brewer, and today we talk to Sue Kim, founding partner at Lippler, a modern recruitment partner for high potential technology and financial talents. Before that, she was a banker and a technology consultant for financial service clients. Welcome, Sue. Hi, good morning, Jeff. How are you? Uh, I'm fine, thank you. Even yeah, with this situation going on, especially in Hong Kong, we managed to get a social distance podcast recording together. Right off the bat, how did you make your way into startups? Okay, so that's a very good question, but also sometimes not that easy to answer right? because you want to go on and on about the background story. Um, maybe the the place to start would be uh, when I was still working in banking and um, I was doing something relevant, right? So I was CEO at the time looking at workforce strategy across the region uh, in Asia and uh, looking at the, I guess, the challenges of talent management, attracting and hiring and retaining talent. Um, and through those projects, I saw a lot of, I guess, challenges that we were facing as one company. And we thought, okay, there's definitely some ways to do this better. So it was just an idea that was kind of boiling in the background. Um, but obviously, as any entrepreneur that starts off from a corporate background, you have to kind of be ready, right? When do you pull the trigger? And um, I was, you know, really good friends with my co co-founder um, at the time we're just basically drinking buddies and uh, used to just kind of always say, okay, you know, I'm ready now. No, I'm ready next. Or, you know, we're just always just like um, discussing when we will be ready to do this. And, uh, and one day we're like, you know, what? let's just go, you know, I mean, banking isn't exactly what we thought we would be. Right. So we had been both of us like working at least a decade by then um, we felt like we had learned everything we wanted to learn. We were secure enough in our kind of abilities to to take it forward. So we just said, you know, let's do it. So that was in 2011. And, you know, obviously we went through so many changes in our business and I can walk you through that. But yeah, so so that's kind of how we started. Before I saw that you indeed was a banker, probably a huge difference in being a banker and yeah, doing your own startup. Well, when you, as a banker, you said you were operational re responsible for Asia Pacific. That means that, yeah, of course, also hiring, but also a lot of other things. Why still that hiring staff see the friction and uh, thought we can make some money out of here? Because there are a lot of hiring agencies already out there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, that that's also a very good question. So we didn't start on day one with an idea okay we're going to start a recruitment agency right we we've actually gone through a few evolutions so i guess when i was working in a big organization um, also being in a role where my role was to optimize our workforce right so what that means is are there ways to do this better and also cheaper essentially right so we are trying to look for ways to outsource uh, to for example cheaper locations um, are there ways to upskill the existing staff you know do we need to introduce different training programs career path and how do we keep the best talent so those were things that were always on our in the back of our mind and at the time this is post Lehman crisis 
and when a lot of the banks were rebuilding, right? So there was a lot of growth. And when we spoke about the five-year plan, the 10-year plan, I mean, the quote-unquote hiring plans were really massive, right? But finding the best talent in Asia, I mean, it's, it's the truth everywhere, but especially uh, in many different countries with very different back, uh, cultural backgrounds, um, you know, we, we, we did struggle. Um, and we always had to customize how we attract the best talent. So there were a lot of projects that were ongoing and maybe the idea of, okay, we can do hiring better wasn't so new, but we thought, okay, it, it, it's not rocket science, right? You, you would think, you know, if you have the right business proposition, you could attract the best talent, but maybe a lot of the, what happens in the process the, how you present yourself, how you meet, how you introduce the talent, all of that process was where it needed some change. So that's, that was kind of our initial idea. At that point, you're in a comfortable situation. You have a salary. <laughs> salary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At that point, how did you make your yeah, transition into like, we're really going to do this right that, now? Yeah. Uh, how, that, yeah. How did you prepare for that? Did you like started to save up like years before or mm. did you at one point just said i'm i have enough now i'm going to do this like what was that decision making especially in the way of yes we're going to do this now and i'm have i don't know x amount of runway yeah sure so i wish i could tell you it was like you know years of planning we had very good cushion and it was fine and we i mean at least for me um i didn't really plan it properly to be honest, right? So I said, in my my rational at the time, I thought, okay, if I fail, uh, and I could easily, um, then at least I'm sure I can find a job. That, that literally was the only thing that's, that was keeping me, I guess, not too worried. Second, I do feel like, okay, you could really try to save up. Obviously, you don't want to be, you know, you know, not like can't pay rent and bills for, for the short term. So I would really recommend anyone to be at least be okay to be able to pay your own bills, right? And whether we were successful and were able to hire and pay for our stuff, I mean, that was secondary, right? Like let's even before we launch anything, uh, make sure that we are viable and comfortable. So luckily, yes, by the time, you know, having worked um, for a few years, we had some savings. But yeah, no, no, there was no proper planning. <laughs> so how's the feeling when you're basically handing your resignation letter, like yes. when you're quitting your job? How was that feeling? Like, how, how, how did that go? What was the reactions of your, of your colleagues? But also what yeah. was the reaction of the people around you, like family, friends? Sure. So maybe backtracking a little bit. I think I'll start with my family because I think I had a bizarre childhood <laughs> that kind of maybe explains a lot of my maybe uh, very impulsive behavior. <laughs> uh, my dad was a serial entrepreneur, right? So we were in Korea in this like small fishing village. He decided he's going to do a bunch of random businesses. Like you can name a business and my dad has done it, you know, <laughs> and he's failed in all of them, by the way. So he's done like a gas station, grocery store. I mean, like some import, export business, travel. I mean, you name it, right? And then uh, at the time, there was a big, um, I don't know, growth in Latin America. And he decided he wants to go there to also do some business. So that my family basically were a struggling entrepreneurial family in Korea and then in Argentina. And then he did that over in the U.S. 
So every time he would start a business, it wasn't a, okay, this could be the big thing. It was, okay, I can start a business. It will be viable. So it was like always some sort of readiness to start something. So for me, actually, when I went into banking, it was almost like a step up, right? So it's just, okay, there's a, a salary. I want to find out what that is. But for me, that was the weird thing, right? So when I was ready to hand in the resignation, I think I had told all my colleagues so much, so many times that I want to do my own thing eventually, that it wasn't shocking at all. <laughs> my boss actually laughed at me and said, okay, I mean, it was about time because you quit three times. And this is true. I quit three times before that because I had another business idea. And then each time, the first time I, qu I quit, uh, it wasn't the same boss uh, back in New York just laughed at me and basically said, look, you're too young, you have no experience, and whatever this business idea is terrible, so no. He like rejected my, my uh, resignation and said, stay one more year, and then if you are still ready, then you can do it then, right? Uh, so I, let's say I had those conversations uh, frequently. Right before I quit, the year before, um, I was doing pretty well, you know, working really hard, but I just felt like I, I kind of knew what, what, what I was doing, so I wanted some bigger challenge. So I had asked for some sort of internal entrepreneurial project, right? So something that has never been done, my own budget, own idea that I had to implement. So in a way, that um, really prepared me for, for the big jump. Actually, at that point, we should also talk to your father about failures in uh, entrepreneurship. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, you quit three times your job before that, but at that point, the, uh, people said you shouldn't do this. The last time you did that, people didn't stop you, Yeah. obviously. That's from the work side. But how was it from your friends and family side at that point? Uh, I, I don't know if you were in a, in a long-term relationship at that point or you, sure. I don't know if you at that point had any any friends or family that didn't yeah, want you to sure. go through that. How did you cope with that and what was their reaction? Yeah, no, that's interesting. So obviously my dad said, oh, of course, that's obvious. <laughs> my mom had, had to suffer through my dad's, you know, decisions. She said, oh, I mean, you know, it's about time. You know, I knew you would do whatever you want to do anyway. Um, colleagues, yeah, less shocked. I think obviously people, some people kind of um, advised against it. They always felt like, you know, this is yet another career company. I'm not sure necessarily you have what it takes. I, I was actually told by some um, truth-telling friends that, you know, told me that maybe you don't have what it takes to start a business, right? Um, and... Um, and, and I also at the time, I was dating someone that was an entrepreneur. So he was kind of halfway through banking and leaving to start his own thing. So in a way, my environment, my social circle, except for a few that were advising against it, actually was very supportive. Um, so I didn't have, I know some entrepreneurs go through a, like fights with their family. Luckily, I didn't have that. And then, oh, sorry, another thing, yeah. since you bring up relationship. And also as a Korean woman in her 30s, right, I, I, a lot of my friends were getting pressured to get married or at least be like seriously dating and when are you going to have babies? Again, my parents, because they are weird in a good way, they never pressured me. So it was totally fine to be quote-unquote single and, and a struggling entrepreneur. So they were not the typical Asian parents? No. <laughs> okay. very lucky <laughs> and then you, you decided to quit your job uh, together with your co-founder you have to hand in your laptop your your access cards uh, for the bank and then 
what's next? Uh, hire an office or go to the Starbucks or what? What was the first step? Like, what, what was the first step that you did to actually make this company work? Sure. Um, okay, so the first thing you do is to get rid of your apartment because, as you know, rent in Hong Kong is prohibitive, right? Without a steady job. So um, I got rid of mine and then I moved in with my co-founder. So not only, and we slept in the same room, right? So we were working together. I mean, we call it the garage of our living room in a small Hong Kong apartment. Uh, we slept together, right? <laughs> and then uh, at some point we had interns coming in. So we actually started in the, in the apartment. And then the first, let's say, I remember the first week, right? the first few days, right? When you're, okay, now I'm finally full-time doing this because Leading up to that for, let's say, four months or so, four to five months, I was doing it every evening and weekend, right? Um, and then in between, you know, anything, <laughs> you know, any, any time that I could find. But now that is full time and all of a sudden you think you have so much time, right? Because, you know, you think, okay, now, now I can do these five projects at the same time. So... Maybe I, I'm sure we're go, going to go into the mistakes, but that was our first uh, shock um, when, when we said, okay, now that we're both full-time, these are the 10 things we need to get done, and then this is the timeline, and you know all of that. So, so it was really exciting. What was the actually very first thing you did on the very early first morning when you started out? together like working on the business after you moved in and you're like started working on like what was the very first thing was it i don't know setting up register a domain name or was that calling the first potential client or the first potential candidate or what what was it what mm, it was still uh, we were still building the website at the time right so we had done all of the you know registration uh, coming up with you know all the logos all of the fun stuff that you do first um before i quit so now it was just a progression so it wasn't anything too drastic in terms of like what i did on the first day but um i do remember saying okay now um let's review the plan again this is where we are we're gonna set the milestones and this is what you're gonna do this is what i'm going to do so i remember just doing a lot of planning those first few days and um, obviously you're doing recruiting. Yes. What makes Lipler different from any other you know, recruiting agency? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, because at the beginning, we were never going to set up a pure recruitment agency, right? So we started with the idea that we wanted to offer career path mentoring to different professionals. I guess within our uh, industry, within finance, because that's what we knew, but at the beginning, we said, okay, it could be any industry. It could be consulting, it could be marketing. Um, as long as we knew how to mentor um, different early career professionals, how to look for a job, how to market themselves, et cetera, right? So we started actually building a lot of online content and for free, right? At the beginning, we didn't know exactly how we wanted to take the business forward. Then we started doing a lot of um, career mentoring workshops on on campuses so we went to everywhere like hong kong india korea just to offer free workshops and then based on that we started gathering the community so we actually grew kind of organically and then we started offering internships and then after the that grab program so we grew 
up with our talent pool from day one. I guess uh, nine nine years now running, right? Um, so it's the real focus on mentoring side of things. And of course, when we said, okay, how do we monetize that? What are some different business models? Um, we started to work with companies that were also growing and wanted not just, okay, I have one headcount that I need to hire, but actually sit down, explain the business model, um, what are what is the type type of pipeline we want to so so do a, a proper workforce strategy and then help us build the the talent pool right so that that's kind of where the angle itself is different. Um, the second thing we wanted to do is like okay we always wanted to be a technology online business. Um, what does that mean right? Of course, it's a people business. You have to meet them in person. You have to get you know every single account exactly the same traditional way. But we were constantly looking for ways to automate and um, improve on what humans can do. And we came up with uh, now many years, like fast forward, it's the matching process. So where a lot of recruiters spend their time and effort that they, they could spend on actually meeting people and really mentoring them. It's just, you know, go reading through CVs, trying to understand what they are. Uh, reaching out. So a lot of that workflow, the the matching, that's where we are trying to spend a lot of time improving. Improving, yes. Don't you have artificial intelligence uh, for that uh, recently that just makes that very easy for you? Mm. Generalizing here, of course. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, of course. I know that doesn't always work. Yeah. Why do you think that doesn't work or maybe can help but not pull 100 yards? How does that affect your current business? Sure. Um, whenever I look at anything that says data science for or AI for, you know, fill in the blank. Um, you're starting with the data or a AI part and then you are filling the blank and that's why it doesn't work, right? The reason why we built our own algo, of course there are many, you know, I guess solutions out there that we could just come in and plug into the whole recruitment process, but it's really built over the years based on our own success and failures um, every profile that we have assessed, um, any you know learning points that we get from those real recruitment projects. So, quote unquote, the data we collect is actual life cases. Second, uh, when we do matching and the, the matching actually works, we have to dissect it and then build that into the algo. So, our own algo has been built over the years based on real projects. So. Sometimes when I see a lot of these other AI solutions, it's just, okay, let's grab the data and see what we can, you know, if you want to read some patterns based on a big data, then um, the what, what you might get as a result may not have anything to do with reality, right? So that's, I think, where the biggest differentiator of where AI actually works versus AI that's like, okay, in theory it works, but maybe in practical, you know, in practice it doesn't really work well, yeah. And then coming back to your story is that you started up and then were you as of the first month cash flow positive or like how did that like first invoice to a client that that had paid how, <laughs> how how did that work did you like go out for dinner with your first revenue <laughs> that you got in or like how was that i think the first obviously the first year i mean building the website all of that was out of pocket 
right? And um, we wanted to delay any sort of fundraising as long as possible, right? And it's not because we don't believe in it. Obviously, you need capital to really grow, but we didn't want to spend our time in trying to convince other people how we see things, right? If So we said, okay, as long as we can, we'll build and test things that we are comfortable with as founders. And then at some point, we're going to scale up, right? So um, that means, you know, the website or any sort of designers, developers, we had to pay them out of pocket as, as long as we could last, right? So they say the first few months. And then when we started seeing some result, obviously there was a huge demand in terms of training, right? So I said, you know what, let's make money. Let's just start charging for this training. So I started doing corporate training, right? And then um, also for some of these internships, they're more than happy to pay. Let's see, try different pricing points. Some worked really well, some didn't work so well. So I remember the first uh, real recruitment project we did, we didn't know exactly how to charge. So we are asking friends that are in other agencies, like what do you, how much do you charge for something like this, right? So it was a lot of learning process of how the industry works and us trying to see if something different could work also. So during that process, we kept testing, not, okay, there's like traditional projects and that at this cost, can we try something more intense or lighter at different pricing points? So, so that's kind of how we started. So I, I don't remember exact point. I, I think it was in the first, I mean, even in the first year, we were making a little bit to test, but of course not enough to pay, pay the bills. That means that you were doing competitive-based pricing and not really value-added pricing or like value-focused pricing because it could be that you're giving with your services uh, way more value than your competitors are asking. Yeah, like how, exactly. How did you juggle those kind of pricing points and, and, and feedback? Because how, how did you get the feedback from people clients at that point if you were asking i don't know say a hundred dollars yeah but actually their value was a thousand but they will probably not tell you that the value was thousand because it was pretty cheap to get it from you so they don't want the price to go up like how how did you juggle with those kind of feedback how did you get that f feedback from them yes um we we tried a little bit of everything right again i wish i could tell you like oh we had the strategy <laughs> <laughs> but the strategy, quote unquote, is something you learn on the, uh, as you go, right? So we had cases where a client said, you know, Sue, you could, I will pay more. And by the way, this is what everybody is paying. So you should charge three times what you're asking. Versus clients that said, you guys are not the big companies. So I'm giving you the chance. So it should be free or very cheap. We took both, right? Because, you know, again, it's still early phases. What do we have to lose, right? So we, and then we treated every project with the same rigor. So whether it was like a very big project uh, worth, you know, let's say more than $100,000 versus a project that would cost $5,000, um, we treated it exactly the same. So then, of course, that means at some point you start to tweak exactly the effort and then you start to see the actual ROI on the projects. Um, so that's how we learned. And then we know, for example, a type of segment of clients and what their pricing point is and at what service level, right? But that's after, I don't know, having spoken to a few hundred clients, having worked on many, many projects. 
done really well on some, didn't do so well on some, right? So so you just learn over time. Doing that, of course, as you said, like you probably made a lot of mistakes in there. Like, what was your biggest mistake? What was the biggest story that you said, in, in hindsight, we could have foreseen that or we shouldn't have done that in that way? Like, can you tell <laughs> a little bit of a story there? Yes. Okay, so let's say at the beginning, we wanted to be a career development company. Okay, what does that mean? And you can, it could mean, you know, a CV um, clinic, right? Very specific to, okay, we help uh, actually recruit for, and then what industries? We put the scope so big. Every career development topic, every level, basically, and not just finance where we were good at, but let's start everything. So I remember talking to like uh, Disneyland, you know, Pepsi, without real, um, I guess, expertise in any of these markets. Um, it was very interesting because I did get to meet. I remember I met with like 200 companies and they were happy to meet for me to collect information, which was really surprising. Right. And learn how they hire, how, you know, what are the biggest challenges, what's missing in the market. But um, just doing that really slowed us down um i think looking I, I think it was like three or four years into the business where we actually said let's go very narrow we we know the market well our network is in banking uh, we know a lot of hedge funds that are hiring and they're happy to pay let's start very small there and that's how we grew much quicker right because after that, then once we know how to service this segment, then we are able to go into, okay, prop trading companies, family offices. And then it's still within the asset management business. And then what can we do? Now we can go into fintech. After we are servicing fintech, we can go into tech companies. So we're actually growing in much natural way. Before it was like everything. <laughs> and then it, we just like didn't have a focus. That was probably the number one mistake. But what was driving that mistake was our assumption that you, you can do everything. As a founder, you feel like, okay, oh yeah, I could do marketing. Yes, I could do social media. I could also draw, you know, mock up the website. I could also talk to clients. I could also do recruitment. There's so many things that you just assume you're, you could figure out because otherwise you're not an entrepreneur if you don't have this mindset, right? It's great because you need to be this way, but also it's actually the probably the number one mistake and uh, at one point did you realize for yourself yes this is really a viable business this this is really something that we can uh, take on and 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 grow was that in like months time was that in years time when was that point that you said we struck gold here sure um there were i think many phases like the first quote-unquote we didn't think it was, it was struck gold, but we knew it was well-received, was actually during the early phases when we were doing those free career workshops. We knew that every single workshop that we were offering, we would receive a lot of feedback saying, this is really helpful. I never received this type of mentoring before. So that, we knew it was a real need. But again, you know, we weren't monetizing. We didn't know exactly what to do with this, right? Second time we did that was when we started to actually charge so even though the pricing and the types of projects were really uneven we knew that there were companies willing to pay for something some sort of matching or people serve people strategy service 
But again, it was still really unclear. We were spread so thin, trying to do many different types of projects. But when we said, you know what, let's just, we have to survive. We, ha we have to now start making money, right? Like we just ran out of money. We can't, uh, and there's not even a very specific product to be able to raise capital. So when we went narrow and started servicing real clients that were happy to pay uh, for that kind of partnership, that's when we saw um, the market. Um, you know, we saw the, the, the product and the market. Uh, and then we just doubled down. We put all our efforts into it to be able to then grow as a team and then also invest back into the technology, you know, the thing that we wanted to do from the beginning, uh, but we just didn't have focus before. And how far along in the journey was that? I remember it was 2014. Um, that's when we said we need to just you know, narrow the hell down, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we are going to die trying to do something here. So I guess that was two years, two and a half years, right? If you count the time I was working, you know, on the side, yeah. Two and a half years of kind of doing a lot of things and then having grand ideas, you know. By then, you know, the original plan was every industry, <laughs> every segment, um, China, like all of APAC, right? That, that's kind of the plan you set for yourself, yeah. And then uh, you find it focused and you go on there full force. Did you at that point uh, raise any additional capital for that or was the cash flow enough to uh, start funding that? Yeah, so luckily, immediately we were uh, positive. So then we were able to, again, um, get more runway to test different ideas while doubling down on getting more clients and projects. So since then, we actually haven't had to raise any capital and uh, we're able to pay for all the infrastructure as well as the team. And how scalable is your current solution for that? Because it's it's still an agency. It's still mm -hmm. like a, a matching mm -hmm. uh, recruitment agency. So how scalable is your current setup? Yeah, sure. So I would say now it's very scalable. So now I would say in the last few months, we are testing the more scalable model, right? So we've been working um, on building this more online, more automated solution that we've been working on while trying to grow our team. Um, so in terms of the ability to take on more uh, projects and being more accurate and therefore generating hopefully more revenue with less headcount, it's there, right? So all the pieces are set up. Obviously, we're hit by this coronavirus situation, um, but luckily we haven't been fully impacted because again, the segment we're servicing now is still within finance. Um, and uh, in terms of pure headcount and hiring hasn't been fully impacted yet. Yeah. We talked a little bit about the coronavirus already, but how does that impact the industry right now? It's, it's, it's still finance, people still yeah, use financial product, it's not retail. Mm. How do you see that reflecting in your current day-to-day -day business? Mm. Um, the biggest impact, obviously, if there's any sort of high, uh, you know, headcount freeze or headcount changes, that that's the you know more direct impact. But as an industry, you know, as you know, some people make money, some people lose money, even in this environment, right? So, um, in general, our clients are continuing to hire, 
And we are now expanding, as I mentioned, into fintech business, a lot of online as well as traditional technology businesses that some a lot of them are doing really well and actually growing. So in terms of growth net, it's the same. Uh, but then the hiring practice, how do you interview candidates? We have to quickly adapt to arranging all VC interviews, uh, making sure everything is, you know, well connected. So, and also our staff, right? Or our recruiters are not meeting people for coffee. Everything has to be on the phone and over VC. So you have to be able to be impactful without meeting the person. <laughs> so, that, so that's, I think, the biggest, uh, very interesting impact to our business. And that's working so far, or are there still a little few challenges that either cannot or still have to be resolved? I think the biggest thing that needs to be resolved for us, I think not just us, right, but any startup, I would say, is to know the future, <laughs> to understand how this will pan out. Because it's always the question of um, when will it end? Do we, when do we go back to normal? Is the new normal so different from the old normal that you know, we have to adapt permanently? For example, for hiring, does it mean there will be more remote workers and companies that are accepting work from home as a norm? So all these things are raising questions right, for our clients as well as us. Um, that's where we said, okay, you know what? We cannot foresee anything. So we have to assume that it's business as usual. So, but as you, I'm doing that and, and I'm assuring everyone that, okay, let's just continue and then try to survive and thrive in the market. I also know, right, we're all doubting exactly how, how it could look like in the future. Talking about the future, what, what are the next steps for you right now when you have that scalability? Is that uh, international uh, growth? Is that conquering the world? Uh, what... <laughs> conquering the world. <laughs> What's next for you? Sure. So um, I guess going back to your question of scalability, right? Um, you know, if I look at the pieces needed to be scalable, right? Our, what are our key IP, right? So we have the database, right? So the talent database that continue to come and, and join our, our um, team. And then we have the team that we put together now, you know, we've trained up kind of the libler way. And then we have the technology to make the workflow more automated and slick and be able to handle different types of workflows. So having put all those pieces together now, I mean, sky's the limit in a way. We have to then go and get source more clients and projects so putting all those things together took a long time uh, but now that we're at the cusp of being able to scale up really we could test different markets as well so is it just hong kong we're now um, servicing hong kong and singapore would we go to china next will we go to the us i mean who knows right so i think those I used to say, this is my five-year plan. I don't do that anymore. <laughs> we are going to go where the um, demand is. During this whole process of the last nine years? Nine years, yes. Nine years. You obviously got a lot of advice. Yes. Can you pick one thing that you got as an advice, maybe one time or maybe multiple times, that you don't really agree on? Mm. That's... <laughs> um, that's a very good question. So we were, um, okay, so yes, um, we spoke to a lot of um, 
people that have maybe um, invested in businesses, right? So um, we were connected at the early on. A lot of different investors or mentors were happy to chat. And um, the approach there was always kind of how to make the next Uber, right? So every, literally every other bit, um, advice would be, well, if you want to create the Uber of whatever, then this is not the way you do it. You create a, not quick and dirty, but some plugin, something that works with the existing world, how things are done, and then you raise capital and then scale up. So it was always some different angle of the same advice, right? And um, again, you know, or they would put certain businesses into buckets. Is it high growth business or lifestyle business? I understand the distinction, but actually, as you know, the world changes so drastically all the time and we're evolving very rapidly. The businesses that you create, you are allowed to change your strategy and how much you want to grow, where you want to stop, what type of funding um, you want to employ. So I just felt like a lot of investors or mentors out there give uh, more sort of a cookie cutter advice that is meant to then make you quite successful, right? Whatever reality or whatever product, you, it might be your thing. So that's the one thing that I would say I disagree with. If I could talk to any founder, I always say, okay, what is your thing, you know? And it's, it's probably something that I don't know anything about. You are the expert, I'm not, right? Um, I can advise you on how you should approach as a founder, you know, your personal journey, uh, what not to do from just purely like, you know, mistakes and very blatant mistakes. But in terms of saying, okay, this is the, the formula, the magic formula to make your, the, your business a unicorn business because somehow that's how we should all, you know, target. That, that's probably one advice that I, I really hate the most. And what's the most valuable advice you ever gotten? This advice I got from one person. Um, he's actually a very successful um, entrepreneur in, in Korea. And um, he, you know, he will meet with us anytime, right? <laughs> he's so busy, but uh, he's been able to scale up his business. Um, and every time he's like, always ask one question. He's like, why are you doing something that you're not good at? That's literally every single time we speak to him. Just be very good at one thing and i'm sorry but you both come from finance you know the market you are able to bring something that other for example career companies or recruitment agencies can't handle so you could be the next okay you know hong kong singapore finance recruitment agency right instead of looking at apps or different solutions that can come later on right so just um, be a category killer. So that's how he and other uh, mentors used to tell us. So that every time we go back to our basics and then we say, oh, actually this worked, it's always going back to that same advice. And what is something that's not a secret but most people don't know about you? <laughs> Let's see. Um... I think uh, because I'm, I, I'm friendly and I'm sociable, I'm happy to talk to anyone and I'm able to relate to maybe people from very different backgrounds. Um, 
people assume that I like to socialize and I like to just meet people. My favorite thing to do is actually read and be by myself. If I could be alone for a week without talking to anyone, that would be like my heaven, right? <laughs> so thinking, doing a lot of like research work, those really like heavy grunt research work versus like talking to people. So I know it's like counterintuitive, but um, yeah, that's, that's a big secret. <laughs> And if there's one thing uh, you want people to take away from uh, from this talk, uh, what is it? Um, I think, I mean, sorry, I have to think about this question. I think everything has to be personal, right? So if you have done any business for many, many years, right, you have many days where you don't know why you're doing this, right? Um, it's tough, right? You When you make a mistake or, uh, you know, just having a bad day, week or month, you know, <laughs> a quarter, um, you really have to, you are the engine of growth, whether you like it or not, right? Whether you want to be the engine. If you stop, the business stops, right? So you have to be so clear in your head why you're doing it. And if you haven't had that talk with yourself, um, I'm sorry, you will struggle, you will quit, you will question yourself all the way. Um, you have to have blind faith in what you're doing and why you're doing it. But then the rest of it, you can control. So whether you thought you could do many more things much faster, how your clients and you know are responding to your product, um, coronavirus, anything you cannot control how the world uh, sees your product and how it's received. So all you can do is try your best to continue to get closer to it. Um, so having both a perspective that, okay, you know what, it's not going to be exactly the way you want it. So just letting go uh, a big part of you know your belief, but also being blindly faithful to what you believe in and your principles i think that that's really the key takeaway from all of this okay i um, i want to thank you for your valuable insights and uh, sharing of your lessons learned in startups thank you thank you so much for for the invite jeff uh, for the listeners although the rating system of podcasts is hideous if you like this maya cooper series you can rate this podcast with five stars as a motivation for the makers uh, this is jeffrey brewer and normally I would say, go out and build something meaningful. But in these days, just stay inside and build something <laughs> meaningful. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah.